Welcome to Tales of History and Imagination. Eccentric Tales from History by Simone Whitlock. Here terrible portents came about over the land of Northumbria and miserably frightened the people. There were immense flashes of lightning and fiery dragons were seen flying in the air. A great famine immediately followed these signs and a little after that in the same year on 8th of June, the raiding of heathen men miserably devastated God's church in Lindisfarne Island by looting and slaughter. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicles. Our tale picks up today in January 1066, at the court of England's king, Edward the Confessor. The monarch is ailing, and on 5th of January he will pass on, having made it to his early 60s. Edward, the last of the House of Wessex, will die without an heir, signalling the end of one era, and the beginning of another particularly bloody time, as rival claimants emerge to tilt for the crown. I'd normally be selling this as a shocking, unprecedented, unsettling time, but a quick look at the Wessex family history reveals that what was to come was not that big a break with the past. For a case in point, let's rewind to Edward's great-great-great-grandfather, Alfred the Great. At the end of the 8th century, the land was split into several smaller kingdoms, including York, Essex, Northumbria, East Anglia, Mercia, Sussex and Wessex. At around this time, the Vikings made their first incursions into English land. The 793 raid on the monastery on the island of Lindisfarne is the invasion everybody tends to know, but the practice kicked off around a decade before Lindisfarne. By Alfred's reign as King of the West Saxons in 871, Vikings had raided and settled, and in the process conquered most of England. Wessex was the biggest holdout against the Vikings, but a Dane named Guthrum had plans to roll into Wessex with his great heathen army and put an end to Anglo-Saxon rule. Guthrum very nearly defeated Alfred and his merry men, but the king took to the marshlands, from which they ground their invaders down through a vicious guerrilla war. Slowly, the tide began to turn. In 878, Alfred's army faced off against Guthrum's great heathen army and soundly defeated them at the Battle of Edlington. The Dane was forced to convert to Christianity, but was allowed to keep East Anglia, well, at least for now. Alfred's war against the Vikings saw him cobble something close to an English kingdom together. His heirs continued to push back on the Vikings. Alfred's son, Edward the Elder, took Mercia in East Anglia between 899 and 924. This was followed by his brother, Athelstan I, who, on capturing York in 927, legitimately crowned himself the first king of England. 
Now there is never enough information written about these folk, and the first Athelstan intrigues me for different reasons. He never married, and never made an heir. And while it is true, most Wessex kings were busy fighting off threats both within and outside their court. Most married, tactically or otherwise, and had children. We know Athelstan had a reputation as a dashing warrior, was slender and good-looking, and was allegedly a great conversationalist. In our day and age, would we recognize him, and perhaps Edward the Confessor too, as gay or perhaps asexual? The short answer we don't know. The chroniclers don't record who, if anyone, they took to their bedchambers. The crown passed on to his half-brother, Edmund, in 939. Edmund died in 946, possibly having been stabbed to death in a brawl with a convicted outlaw. The story goes one day in the village of Pucklechurch, Gloucestershire, his steward was assaulted by a thief. Edmund got involved and was stuck for his troubles. Many of Edward's ancestors found, to borrow from Shakespeare, but uneasy is the head who wears a crown. Edred, Edmund's successor, lost Northumbria, and then won it back again from the Viking raiders. Edwig lost York in 954 and made enemies of the church. Edgar's reign, from 959 to 975, however, was a rare golden age where nothing ill of any great note happened. But his successor, Edward the Martyr, lasted just three years before he was stabbed to death in 978. Which brings us to the confessor's father, Athelred, known to history as Athelred the Unready. Now, Unready carried a different meaning at that time, suggesting he was unwise or had no counsel. But he did prove very unready in the sense that we use the word. His reign was racked with internal strife. An untrustworthy, Machiavellian advisor, known as Edric the Grasper, who seemed far more interested in murdering his own enemies than serving the king. And most importantly, a new wave of deadly invasions from the Danes. From 991 onwards, the Vikings were back with a vengeance and were hitting England annually. In 1002, and recently a widower, his first wife, Elphegu of York, had died suddenly, while Athelred travelled to Normandy, modern-day France, to beg the assistance of the Normans. The Danes were using their port city of Rouen as a way station on their raids, and he hoped if the Normans made them less welcome, they might raid elsewhere. The Normans refused to help him, but while there, Athelred met his second wife, Emma of Normandy, the daughter of Duke Richard the Fearless. Back home, the Viking raids continued most years. Athelred put his friend, Edric the Grasper, in charge of the construction of a large fleet of warships. Some of those ships went missing, and a grand fleet never eventuated. In one 1011 raid, Edric was sent to Scandinavia to negotiate with the Danes, after they kidnapped the Archbishop of Canterbury. His mission failed, ending in the death of the Archbishop. In 1013, Svein Falkbeard, King of Denmark, conquered England, leading to Athelred fleeing for Normandy with Emma and his three youngest children. Five weeks later, King Svein dropped dead mysteriously. 
The Viking was possibly murdered, or possibly fell from a horse, depending on whose account you believe. The throne briefly returned to Athelred, but in 1015 the Danes were back with Svein's son, Canute, at the head of a new army. Now, Athelred died in the midst of the war, handing the baton to his son, Edmund Ironside. Emma's children were sent back to Normandy. She, now widowed, either pursued Canute for a relationship or was forced to marry him. The records and her future behaviour suggest she probably sought out the king. But either way, she was twice Queen of England, now under two different kings. Edmund, in the meantime, either died of war wounds from fighting the Danes, or if you to go on the legend, he was stabbed up the bum while he sat on the privy. Well, either way, this left King Canute in charge of the whole country. Time to chuck another quote in there. Cue the dramatic reverb and sound effects. A few days after this, King Edmund was treacherously killed at Oxford. This is how he was killed. When the king, fearful and most formidable to his enemies, was prospering in his kingdom, he went one night to a lavatory to answer a call of nature. There, the son of Elderman Edric, who by his father's plan was concealed in the pit of a privy, struck the king twice with a sharp knife in the private parts, leaving the weapon in his bowels. Henry of Huntingdon, Historia Anglorum. Now you may know Canute's grandfather, Harold Bluetooth, from his name and distinctive rune symbol used to denote Bluetooth mode on digital devices. And you may know Canute from the old tale that he was haughty and solipsistic enough to believe he could command the sea. That legend told that Canute sat on a throne at the sea's edge and ordered the sea to go out. The sea, who takes orders from no man, drenched him. Well, this comes from Henry of Huntingdon, from decades after his passing. Henry stated this act was driven by his annoyance at fawning underlings, constantly telling him he had godlike powers. And whether the incident happened or not, the truth is he was a very capable ruler of a vast North Sea empire that now included England, Denmark and Norway. Edric the Grasper was an early deserter to his side in the war, but Canute soon had the measure of him, and knowing that that guy was more trouble than he was worth, Canute ordered Edric to be put to death as he purged the court of many untrustworthy people. So, um, yeah, long story short, England was messy from the get-go. Let's briefly rejoin Edward in January 1066. Now, trouble in Northumbria the month before led to the nobles demanding their earl, a friend and relative of Edward's named Tostig, be demoted. Edward caved into the pressure, sending Tostig off to parts unknown. And if that particular earl wasn't up to the job, that was a serious risk. Vikings could come from the north, but more importantly, so could the Scots. King Malcolm would try his luck, as did their previous king, a guy named Macbeth. All the same, the situation took a heavy toll on the king. The stress is believed to have caused the strokes that killed him the following month, 
We'll get back to Tostig, but first we've got a lot of ground to cover. So back to Normandy. In 1017, Canute had the last of Edward's six half-brothers murdered. Edward, his younger brother Alfred, and his sister Godgifu, were safe and sound with their grandparents, Richard and Gonora, in Normandy. Now the Normans were all Vikings themselves. He chose to settle down and gentrify in the north of France. They were originally from somewhere in Scandinavia. Some claim Denmark, others Norway. They were sent out on a mission by Norwegian king Harold Fairhair to explore and plunder into France. But once there, they sought independence and a break from their old ways. Now their leader, Edward's great-great-great-grandfather on his mother's side, was a giant named Rolf. Now much larger than life, Rolf stood around 2 metres tall and weighed in at 140 kilograms. Well, for modern context, he was a few centimetres shorter than Hafer Bjornsson or Tyson Fury, and he weighed somewhere in between these two modern-day giants. The people called him Rolf Ganger, Rolf the Walker, as no horse could bear his weight when he was suited up in armour. Thanks to the television show Vikings, we now know him as Ragnar Lothbrok's brother, Rollo. Rollo never met Ragnar in real life. Ragnar may be based on, or even a composite of, several Vikings who existed a century to a few decades before Rollo's time. The people named as Ragnar's sons were all real historical figures. They all fought against Alfred the Great in the Great Heathen Army. Rollo seized Rouen in 876. They clashed with the Franks on several occasions. In 911, Rollo was granted the land we now know as Normandy by the Franks, who hoped that in doing so, the Normans would create a buffer state between them and other Viking raiders. Rollo converted to Christianity and took on the name Robert. The Normans, Northmen, learned French ways, they took on French names. They gave up their mother tongue for the French language. Now the records of Edward's time in Normandy are very sketchy, but it appears the kids were well loved by their Norman relatives and lived very comfortably over there. Their grandfather, Richard, passed on in 1026, passing his title down to Edward's uncle, Richard III of Normandy. When he passed on the year following, their cousin Robert became Duke. Robert was a strong advocate for his cousins. He sent envoys to Canute's court to demand that he give the crown back to the Wessexes. In 1033, Robert gathered a fleet of ships in the hope of invading England, but bad weather kept the fleet from sailing for England. When Robert packed up and went on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, all hopes of a Norman invasion were dashed. The Duke found the experience moving and openly wept to Christ's tomb. But in 1035 in Nicaea on his way home, he caught a mystery disease and just dropped dead. Still very young, Robert never married, but he did leave an heir behind from a summer romance. A now seven-year-old son, who some uncharitably called William the Bastard. Back in England, Canute was King of England, 
and when he took over, he purged the higher ranks of English society. In some cases, Danish warriors took over vacant earldoms and other titles, such as the Hard of Nails Seward, Earl of Northumbria. Now, you may know Seward from Shakespeare's Macbeth. He was the warrior who lent Banquo's son Malcolm the muscle to overthrow the despotic Macbeth. In real life, Earl Seward was involved in that fight. King Canute also promoted a couple of Englishmen to the aristocracy. Now, one such figure was a man with an obscure origin named Godwin. Godwin's father was probably an English freebooter named Wolfnoff. Wolfnoff was a minor aristocrat from Sussex who may have fallen into Canute's orbit for his ability to transport Viking armies. Wolfnoff was the guy who stole several of Athelred's ships from Edric the Grasper then taken to raiding the seaside towns along England's southern coast. Godwin soon became one of Canute's favourites and was promoted to Earl of Wessex for his service. Canute died in 1036, the conflict erupted again. The king had married twice, first to a woman named Elgifu and second to Emma of Normandy. Canute had two children with Elgifu, one of whom Harold was the front-runner for the crown. Canute also had two children with Emma. Their eldest son together, Harthur Canute, was also in the running. Now this caused much heavy debate and sabre-rattling among the two sides, and Emma, for the most part, lobbied for Harthur Canute. Ultimately, the earls wanted Harold in charge. And with half a canute refusing to leave Scandinavia, Harold was assuring. Now on the outs, Emma was not yet done. She suddenly recalled she had a couple of children with Athelred, and wrote to Edward and Alfred, suggesting that they too contest the crown. In the summer of 1036, Edward the Confessor sailed for Southampton with a small army, only to find a large army laying in wait for him. The two sides faced off, and in the melee, Edward's side won. He realised, however, he had nowhere near a big enough army to conquer the land if he was going to be in for a fight everywhere he went. Having looted the dead, his army packed up and sailed back to Normandy. Alfred was far less lucky. Later that summer, Alfred landed with his own small army at Dover. None other than Godwin was there to greet him. A great feast was had in their honour, and a great time was had by all. But in the dead of night, Alfred's company were arrested, still in their drunken stupor. Many of the prisoners were transported to Scandinavia, and from there they would be sold on into slavery. Others were tortured to death, many being scalped and left to bleed out. Some people, like Alfred, were blinded. Historically, a surefire way to make sure a king is completely useless. Alfred was taken to the Isle of Eli, where he died of his wounds soon after. Harold was crowned in 1037, but died suddenly on 17th March 1040 of a mystery illness. By this time, Emma had been exiled to Flanders. Half a Canute was in Scandinavia, and Edward the Confessor was back in Normandy. 
Emma and Harfakanut returned on Harold's passing, but the new king arrived with a massive mercenary force. He had to quadruple the taxes just to pay them. Now the following year he dismissed half of this force, but it still meant the English were paying double their regular taxes, and were deeply unhappy about this. Some people fought back, like the citizens of Worcester, who chased the travelling tax collectors into a church. The tax collectors must have thought that they were safe, but they were dragged out into the street and murdered. Half a Canute was furious and he sent an army to Worcester to crush him, and the people had to evacuate to avoid being slaughtered by the king's army. They survived, but the town was razed all the same. Godwin convinced half a Canute he was deeply unpopular, and he needed to invite his half-brother Edward, a man he'd never even met, to come over and be sworn in as a co-ruler. Perhaps he convinced him to bring Edward in as a scapegoat. Edward the Confessor was declared co-ruler in 1041. The following year, half a Canute, heavily intoxicated at a wedding, took a sudden turn for the worse. He died soon after, in June 1042. Edward was officially crowned King of England on Easter Sunday, 1043. In November 1043, having caught wind of the rumour Emma of Normandy was plotting to depose him, for King Magnus of Norway, he had his mother exiled yet again. Every raiding season until Magnus's death in 1047, Edward would travel out to the poor town of Sandwich and prepare for an invasion that never came. But he was far less wise when it came to the Machiavellian Godwin. In spite of Godwin's father's role in his own father's defeat, and of course the murder of his brother, he kept Godwin on as an advisor. He even strategically married Godwin's daughter, Edith, on 23rd January 1045, with very few friends having followed him over from Normandy, and none of his father's advisors still around. He was a man alone and in desperate need of an ally. Now his father-in-law, Godwin started to promote his own children and a nephew into various earldoms. He cemented his place as the power behind the throne, and very soon that became overbearing. In 1050, with the Viking raids continuing, stuck in a loveless marriage that was never going to create any royal issue and may never have even been consummated, and with looming trouble from within his own tent. Edward made plans to spin things in his favour. But more on that next episode, when we talk about that William the Bastard, finally, the outlaw, Hereward the Wake. Thank you for listening. This has been Tales of History and Imagination. All episodes written and narrated by me, Simone Whitlow. All music, yours truly. Visit the show at historyandimagination.com. You can follow me on social media, links in the show notes, and get access to exclusive bonus content via my Patreon, also in the notes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a like on your podcatcher of choice and share the episode 
as word of mouth is the best way to help shows like this grow. See you back in two weeks' time for more tales of history and imagination.